The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. And I am your host, Dan Bespris. Today, I pondered deep. I pondered deeply what we should do. Is there more we could extract from our end of season Yahoo ranks discussion? Or is it time to turn the page? And I think. After pouring through them over and over and over again, that it's time to turn the page. Because what we learned over the last six episodes, minus one playoff style episode, was that with Yahoo's pre-ranks, we can go through and we can get a pretty good idea of how strong each group of 10 players is going to be. And based on what we handicap we can make good strategies for draft day. When do we reach? When we reach is when we know Yahoo's going to have a really bad chunk of 10. And it's not all this very simple, okay, well, they're going to have a bad chunk of 10, so this is the time when you reach, because if your guy is there, you still take him. But it's, I think, a pretty good indicator of How much does Yahoo know? How many times do they miss? And how much do they miss by? And this is a really good way of seeing where totals begin to influence things more. By the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hoopball, our benevolent overlords are at HoopballTweets, at HoopballTweets on Twitter, or just go to Hoop hyphenball.com. Lots of good stuff coming out daily at HoopBall, both on the fantasy and the team coverage side. So you don't want to miss anything over there. Had a number of you guys have reached out to me about hosting podcasts. Very excited about some of the discussions I've been having behind the scenes. And if you didn't hear those clarion calls the last two days, you still got plenty of time to do it. The sky's the limit. Hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Bespers, if you want to host a podcast about sports, about something else. Maybe you're really good at a fantasy sport that's not basketball. That'd be pretty swell, wouldn't it? Anyway, bug me. Bug me. Or email teamhoopball at uh, hoop-ball.com, and that'll end up in my inbox somehow. It'll get uh, forwarded along to me. So we, we went through all these numbers, and we figured out this, this strategy— Meaning, and I don't think we did a good enough job of discussing the kind of the what it really means element in previous years when we did this breakdown. Meaning we got all these numbers. We talked about how often Yahoo misses, how often they hit, when we should actually consider going, getting a little crazy, when we should stick with what Yahoo has in front of us. But it really... I think that oversimplified the breakdown, meaning, yeah, okay, if Yahoo has a really good run in the top 10, you should probably stay somewhat close to those guys. But really, it's because the guys that you want to take in that round 
there's a few that you're going to target. And if they're not the ones, then what are you going to do? You're not going to reach past, like, early second round. You're just not. If you have a pick at, if you have the 11th or 12th pick, you're not going to take somebody at, like, 21 at that point because odds are, even if Yahoo's missing by a bunch, it's because of outliers this year, like Devin Booker, like Trey Young, if you want to go by totals, like the injuries to Anthony Davis and so on and so forth. It's not... It's not that every player in the first round is a three-round miss. It's that if they missed, it's probably going to be by a decent chunk because you can't, you can't really win a pick in the first round. You can only get the pick in the first round, or you can miss. Big wins don't happen at the top. Nikola Jokic is the big win that happened at the top this year, and he was picked seven. So I think we oversimplified, and so I know that one of the things that I like to do on this pod is to simplify the process, but I needed to complicate it just a little bit, which is to say, if Yahoo had a really bad third round this year, per se, the reason isn't because everyone in the third round was a really bad call, it was because there were more bad calls than in, say, the second or fourth round, but all it's telling us is, okay, they missed by four rounds on average, that doesn't mean you should reach four rounds down from the third. It means that you should be, uh, you should understand there's a margin of error there. And instead of, and, and this is something I haven't even done a good job of in the last four shows, instead of saying they missed by four rounds on average, we should just sort of grade Yahoo by how well they did in each chunk of 10. And so when we look at, say, uh, 21 through 30, when they missed by 51 slots, absolute value, on average, per pick, that doesn't mean you should reach 51 slots down and feel comfortable. It's basically just a grade to saying they were not good in that round, and you should feel comfortable taking someone who's like a round deeper than that. Take someone that you have in your next group of players and be okay with it. So that's the very slight complicating factor I wanted to add. It's not how far you should be looking away from that pick. It's a grade from great to good to okay to mediocre to terrible that Yahoo has done in a particular group. And we're going to do that with the preseason ranks next year. We're going to grade them when they come out. And we're going to say, what are the odds that you actually get the guy you're hunting for in this round? This stuff is actually particularly critical, particularly critical when you're in a very competitive league. Because then you'll know. You'll know. Like... In this one, Yahoo was really bad in the third and fourth chunks, 21 through 30 and 31 through 40. So you should expect that the guys you're targeting are probably kind of come off the board in that round. You should prepare yourself, or past tense, you should have prepared yourself this last year for if you had like pick 28, you might not get the guys you're targeting like a Rudy Gobert or a Nikola Vucevic. You should be looking at Chris Paul or Freddie Van Fleet, and feel comfortable with just jumping over a couple of dudes and understanding that guys like John Morant, I mean, people were taking them because there was a lot of buzz to it, Zion, and things of that nature, but the the main dudes you were targeting, the guys you really wanted in that group, probably going to be gone. And in a round where Yahoo's doing extraordinarily well, like, say, the second round this year, you're probably going to get someone you're targeting. So, 
so, so, so, as Dr. Seuss would say. So what does that actually mean for today's discussion? Because I told you I wasn't going to talk about this stuff, and then I just did for uh, six or seven minutes anyway. Well, I thought it might be a fun day to start our rehash of the Dan Bespris Old Man Squad. Yep, we got... We we got... Terrible Dan Bespris Old Man Squad theme music to go along with it. And, I, you know, every year I put out a list. I, I wait until pretty close to draft day to put it out because those of you that listen to the podcast, I want you guys to actually get kind of first dibs on that stuff, meaning I don't need Twitter to win my drafts. I don't. That's great. I like that you guys follow me on Twitter, but I don't need just the casual Twitter followers to win the draft. I want the guys that are listening to the podcast. You diehards. You, should, you guys should get everything else beforehand. Uh, so we're going to start looking at the Dan Bespris old man squad, which is also at those of you that, that read it this year, probably noticed that I busted it into, uh, three categories, which were the superstars on discount, the sods, basically players with an ADP under 25. Cause it's hard to call those guys members of an old man squad when some of them aren't old. It's really just really good players that are falling in drafts for some reason. The old man squad was a, anyone with an ADP over 25, uh, but really it's not, they're not that old. It's really Dan Bespris, old, bo- like the boring man squad, the D-B-B-B-B-S, because they're not old. It's just guys that are falling unnecessarily. And then I even had guys that I listed as the Dan non-boring value guys, which is the That one doesn't roll off the tongue quite like D-bombs does. So we're going to get into that in just a moment, but first, a quick rehash of what's been going on in the playoffs so far. The Brooklyn Nets come from way behind to beat the Milwaukee Bucks. Bucks put on one of the worst second-half offensive performances that I can remember. They went to almost all ISO everything. They had this game in hand, and they let it slip away. Kevin Durant was incredible. We, ha- we have to give credit where credit's due there. I said fade James Harden, which was very much the right thing to do, and Milwaukee blew it. They had a golden opportunity to win this ballgame, and they just went to all weird, frantic ISO stuff, and Kevin Durant got hot, and he never cooled off. He just, he just cooked them. Jeff Green was also very good, 27 points for old man Uncle Jeff. That was a big deal for them. Brooklyn... And Milwaukee, they shot the ball pretty similarly in this ballgame. Nets had a couple extra threes and made their free throws. And that was kind of the difference in the ballgame because neither team rebounded all that well. Bucks didn't pass well at all. They did for stretches, long stretches in the first half, actually, went to a Middleton-Drew Holiday ball-handling offense, and then they got away from it, and the whole thing came apart. So now Milwaukee's got their backs up against the wall, and every couple of days, James Harden's going to get better to being healthy. I mean, you could see he just wasn't even close to himself in this game. He had five points, six boards, and eight assists. He played 46 minutes. Giannis, by the way, played 42. Would that have been the difference in the ballgame? I don't know. You got to be willing, man. I don't think Kevin... Did Kevin Durant sit in this game? I think he played the whole damn ballgame. I don't think he sat for even one second. That's what you do in the playoffs... Coach Bud's got to go, man. I don't even care how this series ends. They might win two games in a row, but he's got to go. The adjustments in this particular series are so easy, and the Bucks just refuse to do them. Maybe it's the players not executing. I don't know, but someone's got to get them straight. 
In any event, I liked the under on this game, and the line actually was basically right on the money. I think it was 220, was it 223? I forgot what it was. It ended at 222, and it, and it finished at 222. So, uh, or did it finish at 220? What did it, how did this ball game actually end? No, it was 222. Uh, so it ended right on the number. Congratulations to odds makers. They got this one exactly right. We turn the page, and we'll talk more about their next ball game on Thursday's show. Tonight, Atlanta is at Philadelphia. Philly uh, favored by six at the moment, total of 224. We just don't know the health of Joel Embiid. So to put out any kind of play on that game without knowing what he's going to look like is a little bit foolhardy. I'm assuming he's going to play. I'm assuming he's going to be significantly better than he was in their last ball game. And it also, to me at least, looks like Philly has kind of figured out Atlanta's offense, at least from a defensive schematic standpoint. If the Sixers had played even a close to a decent ball game, they committed 12 turnovers, which isn't that bad, but Atlanta only committed four. And that was it. Hawks had 16 extra field goal attempts in that last ball game. So I do think Philly wins this one. I'm not comfortable laying six that's a pretty big number 224 points is seems high after they combined for 203 in the last one uh but both teams were underachieving by a pretty good number in fact the pace of that game wasn't that slow Atlanta had 101 shots they probably should have been around 115 points in the ball game based on how they were how like the pace of the game but they couldn't shoot it at all and then on the Philly side because they had the 12 turnovers that limited what they might have been able to do. But I'd argue that they probably should have been around 107, 108 points also. So these two teams underachieved by, I don't know, about about 19, 20 points. So the line is pretty tight. The line is pretty tight. If you think Philly gets their offensive game together, you probably lean ever so slightly to the over now. I think I'm probably leaving this one alone. And Clippers and Jazz, Utah's favored by three going back home. They're going to shoot better. They have to. Utah didn't shoot well in L.A. Uh, Jazz shot 43%, but they take all those three-pointers, so it really does kind of come and go a little bit. I'm expecting a really good ball game. Clippers blew them out twice in Los Angeles. Jazz feel like they can win their home games, and that seems to be their chance to win this series. I think Utah by three is a good line. I lean ever so slightly to the over. I think you get a better shooting game for the Jazz, and and the Clippers seem, I think, willing to play at a pace that the opposition is mostly dictating. Here's the thing, though. Two teams not only made 32 threes in that last ballgame, they also combined to take 64 free throws, which is a pretty damn big number, and it ended at only 222 points. So you could make a pretty reasonable argument that Uh, like this game probably could go under again based on pace, but I do think that they're going to hit a lot of three-pointers. That that one's a tough one for me right now. I think I probably, as I look at the speed, if Utah can speed it back up, that's the thing. Can Utah dictate the pace on their home court? And I'm thinking they probably can. And they want to move it a little bit faster than the Clippers do. Clippers dictated the pace at their spot. Utah will probably do so. This is why I missed the bubble so much. Not because I wanted anybody to have to play in a pandemic again, but because the games all happened every other day on the same exact court. You didn't have to worry about any of that role players playing better in front of their cheering crowd crap. You didn't have to worry about one team dictating the pace because of their home crowd crap. Home court is a really big deal in the playoffs. It changes everything 
in how you handicap a basketball game. So again, leans in this one uh, ever so slightly to the over in the first game, ever so slightly to the under in the second game, but not nearly as much. I really liked the under in Milwaukee-Brooklyn, and that one was a push. Uh, but then we had the two unders on Monday. That actually was, we, we sounded kind of smart there. All right, guys, let's talk old man squad. This is fun stuff. This is good stuff, man. This is, uh, this is the good stuff. <laughs> we, we did well. We did well. That's, I think, the overarching theme on the old man squad. But I also believe that it's pretty important that we break it down in kind of the how we did well and why we did well in different groups of players. For instance, starting off at the top, the superstars on discount, I had Steph Curry as a superstar on discount. His preseason rank, I believe, was six when I did the list. Yahoo has him listed preseason as five right now, but it was six before, I promise, because I wrote this down on December the 23rd, basically uh, the day after opening night. Uh, so he was he had an ADP of six. I had his final rank as four, and he actually beat that. Steph was number three by totals. Uh, sorry, two by totals and two by averages. So he beat even my superstar on discount. He was the guy I wanted you guys drafting in the top six. He was the target. Even before some of the other really huge names before Nikola Jokic. So I can't, I can't take credit for that. Jokic beat him, but Steph beat everybody else in that group. Kawhi Leonard had an ADP of 14 when I built this list. Uh, it, Yahoo has him listed at 13 right now. So again, they're, they're fudging the numbers a little bit to make themselves look smarter. Uh, final rank, I had Kawhi listed at 7. His final rank was 10 by totals, 5 on a per-game basis. My numbers, by the way, were built on totals. My, eight, my old man squad, because particularly in the, uh, the top group, it's very important to go that way. But I, I do it all that way all the way through for a couple of reasons, and we'll get to those uh, when we get to those. I'll explain more on that front later. Um, so Kawhi Leonard... Uh, I had him as a superstar on severe discount, and he did beat the mark. I thought he would actually do a little bit better than he did, but he finished at 10, and so he beat his number anyway. And then the uh, superstar on discount number three was Paul George. His preseason rank was 21. I thought he was going to finish at 12. It actually went the other way. He finished at 45, so that was a miss on that front. He was 25 by averages, but he missed a bunch of ball games. I didn't expect him to be that banged up again. It's that same crap, man. I, I really had him pegged this year as someone that was going to want to... It was a prove-the-doubters-wrong kind of year for PG, and then it just sort of didn't materialize. His scoring was not great. Uh, he got off to that amazing start and then cooled substantially as the season went on, and he played only 54 games, which you can only get away with if you're Kawhi Leonard and you know, you're rolling top five on a per-game basis. You just can't do it if you're not hitting your ADP per game and you're missing a ton of basketball. So that one uh, was a miss in that group. And the honorable mention for superstars on discount was Jimmy Butler. His preseason rank was 20. What did Yahoo have him at now? 18. Look at that. They're moving them all up the board. All the guys that they said were going to hit, although Paul George also went up one slot, so maybe, maybe it's not fudging the numbers. I had Jimmy Butler with a final rank of 15. He actually finished at 11 by totals. He was number six by averages, which I know was weird because he went in the bubble, 
But the fact that he was getting drafted a full round later than his per-game ability, I thought was just kind of dumb. It was like if LeBron was getting drafted in the 30s. You know, even with him playing in the bubble, and I know he didn't hit that mark this year because of the injury, but if LeBron, who I figured on a per-game basis, LeBron would probably be in the 18 to 24 range, and so I thought, all right, he's not going to play that many games this year because he's going to be dinged up, but if he drops around past that mark, I'd draft him. I'd draft him at 30 to 36. Same story with Jimmy Butler. He's a top 10, well, really number 10 kind of guy in general on a per-game basis, So my thought was, look, if he falls around back of that, you have to draft him, even though you know he's going to miss some ballgames. And somehow, in all of this stuff, Jimmy Butler played in... He missed a bunch of games, didn't he? Yeah, he played in only 52. He missed 20 games this year, which is a really big deal. But he had the Kawhi Leonard phenomenon, which was he was so damn good on a per-game basis, it didn't matter. Kawhi was 5, Butler was 6 per game. They both missed 20 games, so yeah, they were a little bit back of that, but Kawhi was 10, Butler was 11. They just fell too far despite the injury stuff. So I want to pause for a second, because those are the four superstars on discount, Jimmy Butler being the honorable mention in that one, and talk about how we got to that point. How did I decide those guys were my old man squad superstars, and why did they hit or miss did we handicap it right or wrong? Did we get lucky? Was it this is the process over result? It was nice that three of our four superstar discount guys were big wins. I would argue those guys were pretty big wins, particularly on the Roto side. I know they were Kawhi was tougher to use in head to head, but again, by totals, he delivered better than his draft slot. So you know, you take what you can get on that front. You know he's gonna sit out back to back, so you just sort of assume that that's gonna be part of the process. So Steph Curry, let's just start and work our way through the four names here. I want to take our time with this because I want you guys to understand how I get to the names I get to. And then uh, if they hit because of how we handicapped it or if they hit for some other reason. Steph Curry, this one I think is a pretty easy one to discuss. Uh, You look at the team, you look at the individual player narratives, and then you look at the actual numbers. For Steph, the numbers were an easy part. No Clay Thompson, so you knew he was going to have to go bananas because Andrew Wiggins wasn't going to shoulder the load, and Draymond Green refuses to shoot the basketball now. So you knew Steph was going to take 20 shots a game, at least. And you know he's going to have outstanding percentages, and he's a guy that we've seen hit the number one slot on a per-game basis in fantasy before. So... He fits all of the numbers there. He's a guy you could draft at five or six that has the ability on a per-game basis to be number one. The question with Steph was really more about could he last the season? And I felt like after kind of red-shirting last year, this was a season that Steph didn't want to throw away, even with Klay Thompson sitting it out again. And when the Warriors went out and got uh, Kelly Oubre, who kind of turned out to stink anyway, uh... It was still a sign to their superstar that they didn't want to throw in the towel on this year either. So it was a pretty easy handicap to say, I think Steph is going to play as many games as his body will allow. He's not going to take rest days. It's going to have to be an injury to knock him out. And it was. He missed nine games this year, so not nothing. But this was sort of non-scheduled stuff, and that's good. 
If your guy's only missing non-scheduled games, you're in a pretty good spot. Non-scheduled plus scheduled rest days, that's where you really start to get into the, the goofy stuff. So Steph was an easy one, and it hit. We handicapped it right, it came through. Kawhi Leonard, that's another one where I believe we handicapped it right. We had his ADP, or his ADP was 14, we had his final rank at 7, which was targeting a bit too high. I thought he'd play more like 54 or 55 games out of 72, and I pretty firmly believe that if Kawhi played an extra three games this year, he probably jumps from number 10 to number 8 by totals. So that would have put him really damn close. So the handicap was close, but not right on the mark. I had him missing the 13 or 14 back-to-backs, and then probably three or four additional games. Or I guess maybe even four or five. But regardless, I didn't think it was going to be 20. Uh, I undershot by a tiny bit, but luckily for Roto purposes, it ended up working out okay. So I'd say generally, the handicap there was pretty good because we knew the per-game stuff was going to far exceed his draft slot. It all was going to come down to each individual game he played because every Kawhi Leonard game was such a big impact ball game. But were you going to get 48 or were you going to get 54, or were you maybe even going to think about getting 60? That would have been pretty swell. Third guy on the list was Paul George. This was our whiff, because I had his final ranking as 12. I thought he was going to miss some 10-ish, even 12, 13, 14 games, something like that. But where I was way off the mark, well, really in both, both parts I was off the mark, I thought he's going to get drafted near 20, 21, something like that. I thought he, on a per-game basis, I was looking at him in the, like, really the turn. I thought Paul George was going to be near the turn this year, or at worst, I was looking at 15 or 16. And then I figured, all right, okay, well, like, I'll take the Kawhi Leonard pill, which is maybe he misses 15 ball games, but he's got something to prove. He's going to want to take shots. He's going to want to rebound. He's going to want to do the defensive stuff. But... It wasn't that at all. His his steals were way down this year. I can't fully explain that. The field goal percent was actually pretty good, thankfully. But losing steals, losing the defensive stats was uh, kind of a game changer. And then missing 18 ball games was another four, five, six more than I expected on that front. So not only did he not do it on a per-game basis, and he was kind of covering for the steal stuff with the... Uh, oddly good percentages early in the year. Uh, but once the percentages started to taper off as the season went along and the steals never came up, that was pretty weird, by the way. Didn't we all think that the he was going to revert towards the mean in steals this season? I was going to get up like 1.4, 1.5 as the year went on or better. Well, anyway, he didn't. So that one was a whiff. He didn't play in the right number of games. He didn't have the right stats. And we, it was a miss. If you took him in the second round, you were disappointed. It wasn't the type of thing that would ruin your basket, your uh, your fantasy basketball team, but it certainly was not good. And then finally, Jimmy Butler. By the way, I don't regret my handicap on Paul George. The, the, the whole world was pointing at his issues in the bubble as the reason the vaunted Clippers couldn't make it past the upstart Denver Nuggets. So it all, to me, it seemed like the prove-it year. And he didn't really end up proving it. 
And I start to think now, maybe he's just not going to be a guy who proves it. Maybe this is what Paul George is at this stage of his career, which is a very good basketball player, but he's not going to be a first-round fantasy player, and hanging on to second round is going to be tough, just given the issues with games played and the fact that he's sharing the floor with a, another superstar. But, I mean, he's done that before, and he's been okay. I think it's, the real issue is that the Clippers have more than one other good player. But in any event, it was a miss. So let's talk Jimmy Butler. And I already sort of broke down the Jimmy Butler one, which mostly went how I expected, but n- with some small caveats. I figured he was going to miss a bunch of ball games this year. I think we all were relatively certain that that was going to be happening this year. I didn't know how many exactly, but I figured anybody that went to the finals in the bubble was a colossal risk to miss basketball games. Bam Adebayo was the, he's the most durable man in the universe. And even he had to take eight games off this season. I think there was COVID protocol and maybe some other stuff floating around. So if Bam's missing a few games, then you know, things are really a mess, but for Jimmy Butler, he had a, a really almost a perfect season fantasy wise without the games played. He missed 20 ball games, but that's the thing. It was all a math equation. If he's getting drafted in the twenties, which again, that's where he was going. His ADP, his preseason rank was 20 when I put out that list on opening day or whenever I compiled it. And maybe I released it on opening day. Uh, and this is a guy that, on a per-game basis, he's never back in that neighborhood. He's always per-game Jimmy Butler. Forget uh, totals just for now. Per-game this year, he was six. That was a really better than anyone could have expected. Last year, per-game, he was 13, which was, I would argue about as poor as it could have gone for Jimmy. He was 16 the year before that. I think that was the season where part of his year got... Uh, goofed up in Philadelphia. He was actually uh, at, he was like around 10 or 11 before he got traded. And then if you go way back to 2016, 2017, I don't even remember where, what team he was on that year. Uh, who knows? I don't, I don't even have the numbers on Jimmy Butler for that season, but he's always, uh, at least when he's leading teams, he's always in that 10 neighborhood, 10, 11, something in that neck of the woods. So if he's going to be a first rounder on a per game basis, all we really needed was about 52 games. And then I figured, okay, well, if he's number 10 and he plays 52 games, he basically hits his mark, which there isn't a really good comparison this year. There sort of isn't someone who was uh, number 10 per game who missed 20 basketball games. The closest thing is Carl Anthony Towns, who was number 12, I think. What did I say he was? He was number 12 on a per-game basis, and he missed 22 games, so he finished at 33. So if Jimmy Butler was like two slots better on a per-game basis and played two or three games more by totals, that would have moved him from 33 to probably about 25-ish. And so, yeah, it would have put him ever so slightly behind his number 20 draft slot. But anything above that, he, he rocket boosts past. Like, what if he accidentally plays in like, I don't know, all but 14 games this year? If he just rests the back-to-backs all season? That would have been, I mean, think about that. He he would have been even better than he turned out anyway, and he was number 11 by total. So that one was, uh, again, I think the process was basically right with Butler 
We knew he was going to be better than his draft slot on a per-game basis, and we had to just kind of ballpark it on total games played. I had his final rank at 15 on the graphic I put out on December the 23rd. Uh, what did I say he finished at? He finished at number 11. So he actually beat my expectations, which made him an even bigger value than I expected him to be. Because I thought he was going to be like around number 10 and play in about 54, 55 ballgames, which is basically where that would have put him at about rank 15. I'm having so much fun with this stuff, I don't want to use it up too fast. The actual old man squad, which is, it's going to start with Rudy Gobert tomorrow, so you already know the first four-ish names on this one are going to be massive winners. There are a couple of big wet farts in that group. Don't worry, we'll, we'll get to those. Uh, and then we have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about as we get into the deep names. Guys like Tim Hardaway Jr., Terrence Ross, uh, Duncan Robinson, who really fit the mold more as head-to-head -head type of... Now, T. Ross ended up sitting out a ton of games when his team went into full tank mode, so uh, that's another sort of lesson to be learned. But the later rounds, the guys you're drafting in the 11th, 12th, 13th rounds, very different head-to-head -head and roto, especially uh, if you're thinking through what other guys you might have on your team. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. We have a lot of things to go over from this year. We have a lot of really fun names to break down. We have some epic losses on this list, but we also have a whole lot of wins. And the funny thing is, then Dan's non-boring value guys, probably the worst of the bunch. So lesson is stick to boring and we'll talk much more about that on tomorrow's show the thursday edition that will be the final fantasy show of the week and then friday we'll reset the playoffs and roll you on through into the weekend we got a lot to talk about here on the damn best Old man squad i love it i love it ah, i love the off season this is so much fun this is fantasy nba today a hoop ball presentation guys go make some money by gambling on these damn games you can also bet on other sports if you like and guess what hoop ball gaming covers all of it the wonderful devin ellington host of today in sports betting go check out that podcast that'll get you winners without having to pay a cent if you're gonna sign up with an account with our buddies over at mybookie.ag let me know before you do it so that i can get you a delicious cash prize hit me up at dan Bespris on twitter that's mybookie.ag you bet you win they pay Hit me up if you want to start a podcast. I'll just put it like that. At Dan Bespris again or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Have a wonderful Wednesday, everybody. We'll talk to you first thing tomorrow, maybe, or possibly in the afternoon. Because really, who the hell knows when I'm going to get enough coverage to put a damn podcast together. So long, everybody.